Oh, yeah, come on. Did, did you guys see Matt Mellinger, the, the head of our worship department right back there, like break dancing in the lobby? Did you miss that in there? Give it up, man. He just turned 40 this week. He's still break dancing. Pray for him. Um, <laughs> I just love that, like, Montel Jordan is cool again. Come on now. Like, any 90s people out there? Yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, people are going to be wearing Doc Martens and baggy jeans. I don't know if you saw the band this morning. <laughs> like, I love how it comes full circle. Hey, uh, we're going to talk this morning about what it looks like for the body of Christ to move and to interact and to be used together. I had somebody ask me earlier uh, if I would show some dance moves because, you know, I'm not in the video. And the answer was no, just so we're all clear on that. Everybody's thankful for that. But I will say if a beat ever drops, I'm there to dance. But no, I'm not going to do that for you this morning. Hey, I I do want to let you know that as we get into this this morning, we want to talk about what it looks like for the body of Christ to be used to make an impact. And so didn't Pastor Nate do a fantastic job talking last week about how uh, we do it? This is how we do it as the local body of Christ, according to Ephesians chapter four. And so he asked me over these next couple of weeks to break that down even farther to look at what the church is meant, how it's meant to live, look, interact, and to make an impact. So I'm going to ask you to power on your Bible or turn to one that you picked up on the way in to Ephesians chapter four again. And we're going to look back at verses 11 to 13 here in a little bit. Ephesians chapter four, uh, verses uh, 11 to 13. And I want to tell you uh, that I believe that you were made to make a spiritual impact with your life. The question is, do you believe that? And what would that look like? And so we're going to break all of that down this morning. If you are new with us, we want to welcome you. We say it every week. We believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. If you came in this morning and you're not sure about your faith, whether you're a Christian or not, you're searching out what you believe. You might consider yourself agnostic. We want you to know we started this church for you. And I can't wait to see what the Lord does with our time together. And I'm going to warn you this morning is a little bit different. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge anybody that's attending online. And I want to even ask for your help this morning as well. Uh, will you put your hands and welcome those online? First of all, we're glad that you're here and hope you connect with God. But I realize, uh, you know, this service, thank you for coming in and helping us find chairs for everybody. It's always packed at this service. But you know that the 9 a.m. is usually the bigger online service? They're starting to get a little arrogant about that. So I wanted to break that this morning. Get your phone out. You can turn the volume off. Share this from Facebook Live, mercyroad.tv, or YouTube Live. We want to get this service out there. I can't wait to see the impact that it might make as well. So As you turn into Ephesians chapter four, let me start with kind of our theme two verses this morning. The students should be familiar with this. It was a theme for their camp uh, just in January. It says this in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter three. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, God's power, that is at work within us. Now, let me break this down. So the apostle Paul was somebody who had his life radically changed. He went on to plant churches all over the Roman Empire. And one of the places he stopped was in Ephesus. Ephesus was a well-established city that was known for its worship of this goddess Artemis, who was a fertility goddess. The non-Christian events happening in that city, in the temple, in those places were not kind. It was a very unchurched uh, place, not too different in some ways than the world today. And Paul went in there and spread the gospel and has literally run out of town for it. Yet later, when he's in a prison cell in Rome around 60 AD, many think this is the last letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And, and this is like a real place. You know, I'm excited to share with you, this happened seven years ago, and I don't know why, but God has made it happen again. Uh, my wife and I actually got approved for a, the Lilly Foundation grant uh, to be able to go to Ephesus this summer. And I'm so pumped and excited about that. It's a unique thing uh, going on sabbatical, and I'm just super thankful for the Lilly Foundation for selecting our application. But uh, it's always good to go on sabbatical when things are going great, and uh, it's amazing what God is doing, and we'll give you more uh, details in the future. But I'm pumped because I'm gonna actually get to go to the city where Paul is writing this letter to. It's a literal place that had been pretty far from God. And so he's writing to them and saying, you could do immeasurably more than you could imagine if God is living through you. See, last week we talked about that uh, essentially, the local church is meant to use our spiritual gifts together. You may be here and have lots of talents and abilities, but we're talking about spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given you if you're a follower of Jesus. The Bible teaches very simply, if you surrender your life to Jesus, repent of your sin, receive the gift of his Holy Spirit into your life, then now he wants to empower you to go live on mission to make an impact that you could do immeasurably more than you could even imagine, but it's not gonna happen because of your talents and abilities. It's gonna happen because God is truly living fully through you. So if you're here and you're like, dude, I'm a nobody. I could never be used to do anything. Do you know where I've been and what I've done? He's writing this to the church that worshiped the goddess Artemis before he showed up. And he says, you could do immeasurably more than you can imagine. And the verse before it, you know, summarizes it clearly of how that would happen, verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the, the measure of the, all the fullness of God. That God could live through you, that people could experience him. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. Imagine that Jesus was actually in the room physically with us right now. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't you want to flock to him and ask like a whole bunch of questions? Maybe even be like, hey, while you're here, you want, you want to like perform a miracle or something? Just like a little one? I got some water out back there. We can, you know, have a good time a little bit later. What do you think? You know, like, I don't know what, that was a silly one, but like what it is that God would, you know, stir you, if Jesus was here, you'd be like, oh my goodness, people who don't have anything to do with God, they would be flocking in. Oh man, I want to get, I want to see if he's really here. Jesus, the one that you guys always talk about, he's here. And the Bible teaches us that he is present. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus was on the planet, 
God incarnate. We'd waited thousands of years for the Savior, the Messiah, which means anointed one. Christ is Greek. Uh, Messiah is Hebrew. They are Aramaic. They mean the same thing. It means anointed one that we've been waiting on. He was present, and then he was crucified as a perfect atoning sacrifice. So anybody, we could be forgiven for the stuff that we have done in our life. But it requires repentance. And then he didn't just uh, sacrifice. He resurrected from the grave, overcoming death itself, that you could live eternally in heaven with God because of what he did for us. But then his physical body resurrected again, right? So he had a physical body and then he died. And three days later, his physical body resurrects. And then what happens uh, many weeks later? It says that he ascends to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit, the advocate, is given to us. So God was present in the person of Jesus on the planet. Jesus resurrects and ascends to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is given. God is still present on earth. What changed? The physical body of Jesus is no longer here. What is the physical body of Jesus today? Scripture says again and again, the body of Christ is the local church. When we come together to use our unique gifts, every single person in here was created by the creator of the universe in his image. He loves you unconditionally. He invites you into a relationship where you could experience him. And that when we come together with our different gifts that he has given us, we could actually see the, the fullness of Christ today. And my question is, if that was actually happening, why aren't more people running into our local churches going, I wanna get near Jesus and experience and see it. Guys, show me something. I wanna be loved the way that you love because if Jesus was here today, that's what people would do, wouldn't they? And I want to tell you the potential is there. You and I together are nothing, right? We're not better than people who don't know Jesus. This this isn't a self-righteous thing. As R.C. Sproul says, we're one beggar asking another beggar for a crumb of bread, right? But the reality is we know the power that created the universe, almighty God, and we could actually be used by him to make an impact. And the truth is, man, when I was 19 years old, God radically changed my life. And I won't go into that story, but I was a fraternity guy and like all the stereotypes, that was me. And then I encountered Christ and went from throwing fraternity parties to leading a Bible study in the fraternity house. And it was a radical change. But for years, I was living on mission, fully alive in my faith, but not participating in the local church because I didn't get it. I would walk in, maybe I'm a little jaded, but I would see people, they would stand up and they would like, you know, 10% of them would sing songs and the rest of them would like look at the people singing songs and kind of mouth the words a little bit and pretend a little bit. And then, then the, the song would get over. I praise God that we don't see that here, that people get into worship. Like then we'd get done with the song and then they'd sit down and somebody would get up and talk And usually I had absolutely no interest in what they were talking about. Didn't even understand the words that they were using and weren't the most, you know, all engaging communicator. They would get down and then we would stand up and we would sing and mouth some words again. And then we'd go back and I just kept thinking like, man, we're doing this every single week. And there are thousands upon thousands of people in our community who are far from God, who need our help who don't need our human help, they need our help because God could live through us to love them the way that they need loved, 
to live out that twofold mission that every Christian is called to, to help those in need and proclaim our faith in Jesus until he returns. And I just thought, man, it feels so fake. Am I a little too jaded? Is it just me? Because I want to tell you what we have seen over the last 12 and a half years in in this church and in other life-giving churches in our community that we partner with is that God is still living and active and moving and he desires for you to become who he created you to be. To be used by him to help people who need your help, who need the help of the Lord. And that's what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter four. Okay, you ready to finally get into Ephesians 4, 11 to 13? Yeah, the three of them. The rest of you like, that was a long intro. <laughs> Can we move this along a little bit? Yes, here we go. Verse 11, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Uh, pastors also refer to as shepherds, that they shepherd people well. And Nate broke this down last week, but I want to reiterate it again to talk about like the specifics of what this looks like. We're not using apostles as if this is a term that you know, just the 11 were, and I I heard a well-known pastor say one time, if somebody has to put apostle on their business card that they hand to you, they're probably not a very good apostle, right? Like, it's not the title that brings you something, it's that you're a pioneering missionary who can't wait for the, see God uh, do new ministry to impact the community for Christ. There's the prophets that hear a word from the Lord and speak it and can bring conviction when it is needed and challenge. There's the evangelist who, isn't the angry person that you've experienced. The real evangelist is they've experienced God and they can share Christ with you in a way that you just want to know more. And you you could develop relationship and proclaim faith. And it's like, man, I want a piece of that. And a natural evangelist, maybe that's you here this morning. Or the shepherd or pastor, this is the person that maybe you're really good at in-depth conversations. You can sit for three hours and have a coffee with somebody and they walk away changed because of the conversation that you've had with them. The the teacher that you can really delineate what's right and wrong. It could be preaching, but most of the time is like, I know how to communicate something that actually is educating them and not just inspiring them and changing their lives because of it. Those five ministries are what are present in every local church. If we're talking about this is how to do local church, we have to have those five ministries present. Now, there are lots of spiritual gifts, spiritual gift of administration, uh, teaching is one of them. There's about 20 or 30 different spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about that you can receive. And in the email this week, we gave you a chance to take a spiritual gifts or an APES test to see how your spiritual gifts could come together to fulfill those five ministries of the local church. So one apostle may look different than another apostle because you actually have different spiritual gifts. But when those five come together, look at verse 12. He breaks it down farther. It's to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is now represented by this room. That if we use our gifts together, we could actually build the body of Christ up. Why? Verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That's going to be important for this morning attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That the only way that we get to the the full measure of the fullness of Christ is when we use our gifts together to fulfill those five ministries. And he's telling them, guys, you're in an unchurched world that needs more of Jesus, his unconditional love. And it's gonna come from you guys working together 
And too often in our world today, particularly within uh, American culture, Christianity is boiled down to an isolationist faith. That there are too many isolated Christians. And I want to tell you that isolated Christian lives do not experience the full measure of Jesus in the world. Do your devotions, grow in your faith, study God's word, find communicators online that inspire you. Do all of those things, but don't live in isolation. I know it's easier, but you'll miss out on the full measure of what God wants to do in our community. And that's what I want to break down this morning. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we pause and just acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here. Maybe there's somebody online tuning in for the first time. God, we believe that you're real, that, that these places are real, that Paul really went to the city of Ephesus and it really transformed it, and that we could transform our city and our state today because of the same things that he implemented. So acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit, God. Fill us to overflowing, as Ephesians 3 talks about, that your love may overflow from our lives into the lives of others. Speak to us, God. We don't want just another week of church. We want more of you to help us become the people you created us to be. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, uh, I'm so pumped to get into Ephesians this morning, uh, but I realize that there are other activities happening in our city today. Has anybody been downtown and into any of the all-star stuff? Uh, Not many of you. You guys hate basketball here? Is it? This is Indiana. You know that you live in Indiana, right? Um, no, it, it was funny. I was watching it too, and like the game, especially today. I never knew there were so many trillionaires in our culture today that could afford the ticket prices down there. Uh, you know, but I realized like people go to that because you can see the greatest basketball players in the world. I mean, just do amazing feats that you have so gifted that you're like, how in the world did they do that? I grew up during like the heyday of the dunk contest, man, when you would get Jordan and Dominique and Spud Webb together. And it was like, how did they do that? I don't even know how they did that. Like, but do you realize today to get them to actually play hard in the game, they have to pay the winning team more money? It's like a new thing they brought back to East and West this year. And that the winning team, every player gets an extra $100,000. Now I get to some of them, that's like 20 bucks. But still, it's like $100,000. That's millions of dollars for that team just if they win the game this afternoon. They needed the extra motivation because we all know it would be a shame if we saw the greatest players and all these gifted people come together and not use their gifts. And I would argue that the gathering of our local churches today, that we have something far more valuable to fight for, to play for, than just $100,000 at the end of a basketball game. We're talking about people's eternity. We're talking about this kid in the community, in your schools, who if somebody doesn't step in and be Jesus in their life, they're gonna go down a dark path through trauma, People in our city that are desperate for someone who actually cares about them to step in. And guess what? God didn't leave them alone. He gave the local church spiritual gifts to come together, to be used together, to accomplish something, to change the course of human history. And we act like it's not that important. 
no fingers pointed. This is no shame. Don't get overwhelmed this morning, all right? Like that's such a typical thing that I'll do to myself that we'll all do. And I just want you to know that is not the goal, but I am challenging you. This is life and death stuff we're talking about. It's the most important thing that you've been given to do with the time you have on this planet. To come together and make an impact. And what Paul says is, this is how you're going to make an impact if you do this. So last week we talked about this is how we do it. I just want to get really simple and talk to each individual here this morning. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. I haven't heard that song, but maybe it'll come out. Montel Jordan 2.0. The first point is this. Live worthy of the calling that you've received. So if you look how Ephesians 4 starts, Paul writes, he's like, as a prisoner of the Lord. Oh yeah. By chapter four, he's like, by the way, I know that you know I'm in prison because he's living his faith out and he got in prison for it. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, some of you are like, man, I've been trying for like a really long time to know what my calling is. If you don't know your specific calling in this time of your life, you always know your general calling. The twofold mission that every believer is called to, to help those in need and proclaim your faith in Jesus. The twofold mission that every believer is called to, and they go better together than apart. If we just share our faith and we don't meet physical needs, we just have a shallow version of Christianity. If we help people's needs, but we don't share our faith and proclaim Jesus into the world, we're just like any other non-Christian Peace Corps event. And I want to tell you, when you live that twofold mission out together, that is the general calling that every believer has to live worthy of that calling that you and I have received. He takes it a step further in verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. When did we in our culture begin to value in the local church more charismatic personalities, inspiring things, and not the qualities the New Testament says to value? Compassion gentleness, love, care, concern for one another. I'll tell you, some of the biggest spiritual leaders in our church will never step foot on this stage because God didn't give them that calling, that gift to do something like that. But man, they are the people that I'm learning from because I need the help. And I want to tell you, I think we need to value that more on our culture today, to live worthy of the calling that we have received. Think about that for just a second. I'm not talking to somebody else this morning. I'm talking to each of us as individuals. Are you living, no, no shame, are you living worthy of the calling of Christ in your life? He tells us that we're called to live with purity and honor in the way we live and interact in our romantic relationships and our non-romantic relationships We are called to to make disciples that make disciples, to live life on mission with Jesus. We're called to help those in need and proclaim our faith until he returns. These are the ways that we live worthy of the calling that we have received. No shame or guilt this morning, but how are we doing? I want to tell you, some of you can be very discouraging to yourself, and you're actually doing pretty well. I see some of you that are living and you're trying to honor the Lord. Nobody's perfect and you're failing in some small ways. And others of us, our pride gets in the way. 
And we're afraid to admit the reality of our condition today is we're not actually that spiritually healthy. Nothing wrong with admitting that. That's honesty. It's your first step to becoming the person God created you to be. But we have to live worthy of the calling that we've received. Have you ever seen somebody that they're like this great person and then you see who they're dating and you're like, really? Like, come on. And just clearly somebody's settling here because they were afraid to be alone and didn't have options. No finger pointing in the room, but like, right? Like we can, we all see stuff like that where we just kind of settle. I find that a lot of Christians, the, the Bible used the analogy that we're the bride of Christ, that we settle in our relationship with Christ, that we settle for the person that we could become. Because the truth is, we're not really trying to make an impact, to work together, to change the course of human history. We're just trying not to go to hell, right? (laughs) Like, trying to survive, and hopefully I did enough good things. And I just want to tell you, that's not how the Bible tells He says, live worthy of the calling that you've received. This stuff matters. And you can. Most of us, we get overwhelmed, and we feel like we can't do it. I want to tell you, don't settle. You can make an impact with your life. You can be used by God. And it's actually some of you that feel like you can't, who if you just uh, surrendered, you might make a bigger impact than many of the people we think are such great Christians. Because you were honest enough to admit what was going on in your life. Point number one, if you want to make an impact, live worthy of your calling. Number two, use your gifts together. I won't get into this in depth because we did a lot of this last weekend, but just a reminder in verse seven, it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It goes on in verse eight. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The word grace is the word charis in Greek, C-H-A-R-I-S. And it's where we get the word charismata from. So when it's saying grace, it's not like forgiveness. It's talking about that it's given you spiritual gifts charismatic gifts that God uh, put upon you that you could actually use for his glory and his purposes. So we're not talking about talents and abilities that like, oh, I can, you know, dunk a basketball or I'm really good at math. It's like, what spiritual gifts have you been given? And most of us have no clue, right? So the reason we don't do anything and use our gifts with one another is because we don't even know what our gifts are. Man, I encourage you, find that out. Find it. If you're a Christian, you've received the Spirit of God, find out the ways that he gives you the most. We sent out that email. You can sign up for our e-newsletter by just emailing us info at mercyroad.cc or use the QR code. That's even easier on the back of your seats. And we will send that to you. We sent it out in the e-newsletter this week uh, about the tests that you can take. But it goes on again, and it breaks down in verse 11 to 13 then. You are given those spiritual gifts to use for those five ministries. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That when you find out what those gifts are and you use it with other people, it's only when we come together that you ever see the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Otherwise, the body of Christ is missing some parts, right? You need to tow. You need the thumb, you need the ear, you need it all. If you're like, I'm not really that important, my gifts aren't that important, no, it is. You're like, no, I'm kind of the gallbladder of the body of Christ. It can be removed and you can survive. No, no, that's just, have you ever talked to those people? Like the intestines don't work the same after that, first of all. But second, 
Like, we need all parts. You are valuable. You were created in the image of God to be used to tell a hurting and broken world that all of us look and go, God, where are you? And he's saying, I'm right here. I've gifted you to do something to change this world. And we're sitting on him and doing nothing with it and then blaming him for it. The third point, if you're taking notes, is to live worthy of the calling you receive. Use your gifts together within the body of Christ. But then I find it interesting. He takes a couple of verses to talk about don't fall for the world's deceit. Look what he says here in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So many don't use their spiritual gifts because they're just trying to survive and they got overwhelmed with all the things that you have to do to survive. I get it. Life is hard and sometimes we have questions and doubts and fears even about our faith. And at times faith can even feel restricting. Like, God, why would God want this? It'd be so much easier if I just did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted to do it, grind it out myself, get the things that I like and do it my way. And I want to tell you, it is. It is so much easier. And that's the temptation that Paul is talking about here. To be careful. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to use the world around you to be deceitful, to pull you in the directions that aren't the ways that he invites you to live. I think more than any time in human history, that's occurring. Because of our our media, our movies, all of the literature that we can find at the fingertips anytime we want it, social media, TikTok, Instagram, every place, so many different things we allow to come into our life and influence the way that we are living. You know, I heard this, uh, the great theologian of the 80s, uh, the musician Prince once say, I I use that because it's so ironic that Prince said that, I saw an interview where he actually talked about that he was encouraging uh, parents to not let their kids watch so many things because when it's in your mind, it's with you forever. I started thinking about that. That's Prince, like he's telling us that. And I just think, man, in our culture today, so many of us, you said the biggest influence in your life is that television program that you, you watch on Netflix that you've watched every season all the way in through hours upon hours or the, the latest thing that you followed on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat and that feed into your life can often get you distracted and become deceitful, whether it's good or bad. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm saying that even good things can get you astray from what God's best is in your life. And he says, watch out for the seats of the cunning, because what? Because it's actually a child that is blown here and there by the latest thing that they watched, the documentary that they saw on TV, or the things that they allowed them to be influenced by. What do you mean by that? So uh, you guys know I have three kids. The youngest one's name's Jet. He's like eight years old. This is a fairly common thing can happen, but this happened just this week. He came up to me and he was like, hey dad, can, can I have some ice cream? Now, it was 9.30 in the morning. And I was like, Jet, you know it's 9.30 in the morning. And what I love about it too, he was like, <laughs> he goes, instead of saying, can I have some ice cream? He goes, can I have some, some of that gilet toe, uh, Dad? 
I was like, what? What is that word? Like, apparently we had gelato, like Italian ice cream. Like, we got fancy in the Hoosman household. And he's like, can I have some of that gilato? And I was like, uh, Jet, that's ice cream. But um, no, you can't. And he's like, why not? I go, because it's 930 in the morning. He's like, yeah, but can I earn it? I was like, yeah, you could like, I don't know, live longer, right? Like, I, what? you're not going to, not this morning you can't. Because I'm his dad, and I'm like, it's not good for you to develop habits to eat ice cream at 9.30 in the morning. It's going to ruin your lunch. You're not going to get the nutritious value that you need and what you bring into your body. You're going to eventually cause some habits and hurts that can cause serious problems in your life to develop that over time. I go all down the reasons that he can't have, but I'm not going to explain all that to an eight-year-old. I just say, no, you can't, and you can wait till later in the day when you've had plenty of nutritious food. And the reason I share that is sometimes the Bible says that there are so many spiritually immature Christians that we're like child, children that are just blown to and from by the latest thing that we watched or we saw. And then we're like, I want ice cream at 9.30 in the morning. And your heavenly father's like, I know that's not good for you. No, oh, you're so restricting and don't want me to be who I want to be. And he's like, no, it's because I want what is best for you. A healthy life, healthy marriage, healthy family, healthy workplace, to build healthy environment around you. He says, I want you to begin it by connecting with me, getting into God's word daily, praying, practicing spiritual disciplines, coming together, worshiping with other believers, because you're going to need the help to develop in your faith so that you're not blown here and there by the latest cunning deceit of whatever you watched, listened to, or your friend told you about worked for them two weeks ago, but they haven't really know what 10 years from now is going to look like. But the God of the universe does. He says, trust me in this. Follow me. Don't be blown here and there. Don't, like a child, be influenced by what the world tells you about your self-image, by Photoshopped social media, but by the truth of God created you in his image, and he loves you unconditionally. Don't find a husband or wife based on reality TV or what you found when you swiped a certain direction, but because you prioritize the values that Jesus demonstrated of what should be important in a human being's life. Don't place your hope for eternity on the Instagram businesswoman or businessman that's making seven figures off of you subscribing and watching all of their stuff. Base it off of the truth of the Savior of the world and who he inspired to write this word that says, don't give in to the cunning and deceit because you are valuable. You were meant for more, immeasurably more. But it's only going to happen when the fullness of Christ is in your life. So you have to have a posture of repentance to draw near to him. The fourth and final point is this. You have to become mature. Not like a child, but to grow up spiritually. And this is a lifelong process. I'm still learning how to do this myself. Become mature in your faith. Verses 15 and 16, instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is in Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as does each part does its work. That it's only when we grow and become spiritually mature, not better, not self-righteous, but repentant, 
gentleness, patience, compassion, allowing the Spirit of God to live in us and through us more by drawing near to him and studying his word and prayer and fellowship and becoming who he desires us to be. It's not easier to live that way. It's harder. And the enemy's going to whisper that in your ear over and over and over again. You know, you don't have to do this. You, you, don't, you don't have to do and live that way to be a generous person. You can still go to heaven, right? Like you, you, could, you don't have to make an impact. You, you just have to just get through life, just survive, settle down. It's not, not everybody does it. Look at that other person. They're not doing it. And the next thing you know, we have whole generations of followers of Jesus who our faith has simply become a nostalgic thing where we gather on the weekend and not a community on mission being used together to fulfill the fivefold ministry of the church to change the course of human history and bring hope to a hurting and broken world. The church has seen the rise and fall of rulers and empires. It's seen plagues that have come and have gone. It has seen all kinds of heinous actions that have occurred and things that have persecuted even Christians to try and keep them from living on mission. And yet it still remains. And the Bible teaches until Jesus returns, it's going to keep going. And it's the hope of humankind when we actually don't live for our selfish desires, but we want to become the fullness of Christ and have the humility to work together with other believers maturing in our faith. A church is not just about a building or a gathering of worship. While I think that is super important, don't hear me say any heretical thing, I want you to think about the early Christians of what church was to them. And the first Christians were so serious about the mission of Jesus that some of them didn't even have time for what we think are the most important parts about doing church. This is how we do it. We have to prioritize the mission of Jesus to help those in need, proclaim our faith, live worthy of that calling. Don't be blown here and them by the latest uh, fashion, that spiritual trend that occurs. Base our life off of God and his word. Trust him that he knows better than us to become the person he created us to be, to have humility enough to mature in our faith, to be used together and impact a hurting, dying, and broken world. Amen? Amen. See, as we close out our time, I want to tell you, this kind of gets to the heart and soul of who we have are as a church, the way we started Mercy Road from the very beginning. We were, we were never about just growing a worship gathering. We've always been about that you were a valuable person to the body of Christ. As some of us, we have been wasting our gifts. Some of us don't even know our gifts. And we prioritize so many other things with our time, talents, and treasures rather than the one thing that's going to matter for all of eternity. How are we helping people in need? How are we proclaiming our faith? That's why we started our outposts and we said, go for it. We're not going to control you. Do it however you want. We just want you to, it has to not be in contradiction to what scripture says. I'll never forget, there was one guy that uh, early on, we had made that decision that we were going to have a yes culture. And there was this guy that came into my office. His name was Rich Abbott. Some of you know Rich. He says, Josh, I want to start this outpost to minister to people that like WWE wrestling. I was like, oh, okay, why are you telling me? And he was like, no, no, I want it to be an outpost, and we're going to call it Wrestling Theology Fellowship. I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, and we want to start putting live wrestling shows on in the church building. I was like, 
I'm going to be honest with you. This is true. True story. This happened 10 years ago. I was like, Rich, I love you. I'm glad God is speaking to you. I want to tell you, I think that is a terrible idea. I do. I don't see that working, but we're supposed to say yes. So maybe God's speaking to you. So he, he did it. He applied for the financial grant. The first one, they had over 200 people. They had more atheists come to Christ in that year and that outpost than any other outpost in our church. God is stirring something in some of you that you have been repressing for decades, some of you. Prioritizing everything else in your life. Squelching everything God wants to do. And I want to tell you, enough is enough. Become the person God created you to be when he made you in his image. Don't give in to all the things of the world that that tell you truth is found in this other religion or this other thing or this other place. They've been warning us for thousands of years. Every human being has had to endure that. But if you turn to him and you get serious about diving deep with him, he will grow you in faith, hope, and love. He will empower you with the spiritual gifts to accomplish what he put in your heart. Focus more on what's happening on the inside rather than how physically or intellectually talented you are and the abilities you have. That type of self-righteous, unchrist-like ministry is what caused so much pain and hurt in the world. And there are some of you that think God could never use you and you are the perfect person because you have the humility to know it will never come from you. It will only come from Christ in you. And so I don't know about you, but I want to just repent this morning and ask God to develop us and mature us as followers of Jesus and American Christianity and even in this room and online right now. We pray with me, God, I just come to you just with the posture of repentance that all of us fall short of your glory, God. All of us can go astray and get distracted by things. There's there's no shame finger pointing. We all do it. It's only those who are honest though that get to see you grow in their lives. So I'm just gonna be honest with you this morning, God, and say I'm sorry for not always living worthy of the calling that I've received. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. Whatever you need to repent of, just tell that to him right now, just silently. Every great revival, God, as we're praying and fasting for 52 days, every great revival begins with a culture of repentance. We can't do this without you. We need you. Draw near to us. And then maybe there are some of you in the room that you know it's time to let go of the reins and to surrender control in your life, whether for the first time or to recommit your life or just to say, I got to get things going. I've been putting this off for too long. Pray this with me. God, right now, as we've talked about making an impact with our lives, uh, we want to see that happen. It's only going to happen with you. So right now, on this moment, February 18th, 2024, I surrender everything not just some, everything in my life to you as Lord. Use me with other believers to change this world and to live on mission with you. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus, and all God's family said, amen.